Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. We've had 35 resurrections of the dead. The closer they are to freshly dead, the easier they are to resurrect. So I see this giant angel and I asked him his name. It's a financial company. And I realized this angel is here for our finances. And that's a true literal story, by the way. These people are charlatans. And it's about time we draw a line in the sand and stop fraternizing with the wolves. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And away we go. It's the Wretched Radio mail call delivery bag Q&A infotainment nationwide extravaganza featuring your voicemails, correspondences, communiques, dispatches, memorandums and missives. Any special message for all the kids watching at home? What we need right now is a clear message to the people of this country. You have 1,200 messages. That is a bit above average. Now here's your host, Todd Freakishly Tall Friel. Ooh, got a question? Coming. Conundrum or snark? We'd love to read it. Please send it to idea at wretched.org along with stories, articles, sermons, whatever is wretched. We want it. And as long as you're at the Internet, we want you if you are engaged or you're currently married and maybe just maybe marriage didn't turn out to be what you anticipated. And you are willing to have somebody help you in your struggles. And you're even willing to let us share your struggles so that others can see the biblical solutions for marital problems. We're doing a new TV series. That's right. Didn't have enough to do around here. So instead of just doing road trip, wretched and transformed, transform couples is our newest project. And it is going to be so Jimmy, we just had a meeting about it yesterday. This thing is going to be so good because Transform focuses on, all right, here's biblical counseling. This is how it works. And it teaches about biblical counseling while doing biblical counseling. But I think the focus of Transform Couples is going to be role-playing, helping a couple think through the annoyances that they experience on a daily basis with the other person. How do I respond to those? How do I deal with those? How do I cope with those? My spouse has been lying and lying and lying, and it just makes me crazy. It's a terrible thing if a spouse is lying. But how might the Bible inform you of a better way to respond so that you do not develop a root of bitterness? You don't want one of those. If you're willing to participate in Transform Couples, would you please visit transformed.org and go to the casting page, transformed.org. Is it slash casting, yes. Jimmy? Slash yes. cast. There you go. You'll go straight there. Yeah, I've been there. We loved. <laughs> you need someone for the pilot, don't you? So <laughs> I can understand how easy it would be to have an alias to get some free counseling. I got that. What are we when you show up for the filming of it? Aren't we going to recognize it's you? Oh, I know. I hadn't thought about that. You're going to change your identity. Oh, okay. Because you can do that. That's a piece of cake these days. <laughs> Transform.org slash casting and send them their emails to idea at wretched.org. All right. This one comes from Skylar, who says, Todd, um, I have a question pertaining to the episode recently on 12 Ways to Honor Your Parents. Should you honor your in-laws the same way you honor your own parents? Yep. Yes, you should. You're, you're related now. Remember, covenantal relationships can, not always, but can be deeper than blood relations. When a man and a woman get married, 
That's the deepest relationship. That's that is the most profound relationship there is because you become one unit. That means your spouse's parents are now, in a sense, legally your parents. Hence the term mother and father-in-law, which I suspect we're going to have to change that pretty soon, too. Which means a lot of old movies can't be shown anymore. The point is a covenantal relationship brings you into more than one relationship. It brings you into another family. And so you should be viewing your in-laws the same way you honor your parents. Idea at wretched.org. All right, this one comes from Jay. Dear Todd, I've noticed over the years that a lot of good Christian men don't have much in the way of a backbone. <laughs> How do we look at that spiritually? Yeah, well, we, I, the, one of the things that we've done, frankly, is overcorrected. The feminist movement, it has assaulted Males. In fact, if you recall the Jordan Peterson video that we dissected earlier this week on Wretched, he was talking about how young men are rudderless and looking for direction. They're looking for something bigger than themselves. And we didn't spend time talking about his psychological reasons why, but he cited third wave feminism has from birth told boys, no rough and tumble, don't play with guns. Uh, don't 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 be strong. Don't get dirty. In other words, be really feminine. And that's just been one assault on modern day males, courtesy of the feminist movement and young men and now even older folks. They've been influenced by that. I don't think we really appreciate how much our world infects us. And I mean that not informs, infects us. It just gets in there. And men have felt that. So how does one correct it? Not by becoming a tyrant or a bully or a dictator. It, it means that you start applying your biblical principles as if they mean something. It is, it is making decisions based on the word of God and being committed to them because you know they are right. That doesn't mean you bang your fist. It doesn't mean that you knock down doors. It means that you actually apply what you believe, which quite honestly, I think is the greatest need of our day in the evangelical Christian church. The, dis the separation between faith and reality, it is alive and well. It is a Greek philosophical dualism that has infected Christianity for centuries. When you consider the church and its, its new understanding of the old dead Greek philosophers, they, they, they imported into church a separation between reality, faith, beliefs, and morality. They're separate. They're just separate areas. It's a bit Gnostic to boot, but nevertheless, there's this, this new Aristotelian thinking, this new Platonism where we separate what is true with living. And we're seeing that today infecting the church. We go to church. We maybe do our Bible studies, but does it make its way into the rest of life? That is little leap right there is what men need to, if you will, have a backbone idea at wretched.org. You got anything to add to that, Jimmy? No, I think that's uh, pretty, pretty much hit the nail on the head. Yeah, you just speak truth and love. Yeah. Be willing to speak it. We want to be wise as serpents, gentle as doves. It doesn't mean you want to clod into things and start arguments that are unnecessary and that will not allow you to win the war. There are so many skirmishes. If you get a chance, please watch my Breaking Bread with Daryl Harrison. It's on the YouTube machine right now. 
He said, we got to be willing to lose arguments. And he didn't mean surrender the argument. We just don't fight over everything. We don't, I've got a backbone. This is what you got to think. You, that pronoun, I got a backbone, you totally depraved sinner. Okay, we want to speak truth, but we want to speak it in love. That's what it means to be a Christian man. Right. It's, it is both gentle and loving and tender, like Jesus demonstrated and called himself, and yet strong and not willing to compromise, especially when there are assaults on the truth. Idea at wretched.org. All right, this one comes from Anonymous. This is Todd, how can we know the difference between doing something right for God and doing something right for ourselves? It can be both. It doesn't have to be an either or. So let's just take this on face value. Can you do something that honors God, that is is good for the church and the kingdom, and something good for yourself? Of course. We we protect ourselves, we defend ourselves, we 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 make sure that we eat and sleep, etc. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, let's dig below, not to be a deconstructionist or anything, but if the letter means that can I do something where I'm really doing it for myself more than God, well, then that's a corrective. And these types of things, we don't want to abandon wrestling with our motivations. We do. But don't get twisted up into knots and become paralyzed and indecisive and potentially lacking a backbone because, well, I think I should, but I don't want to do it because I'm thinking I'm doing it for me as opposed to doing it for God. Now I don't know what to do, and now I can't do the thing that I wanted to do and thought was right because I'm actually doing it more for myself than I'm doing for God. And wah and la, you're, you're going to have your feet surrounded by concrete, and you're not going to be able to move. So always watch motives. We want to do it as unto the Lord. If you get a sense that you're also doing it for yourself, that is not necessarily sinful. And if you are doing it mostly for yourself, just stop and ask the question. Okay, Lord, I need to adjust my thinking on this. This is what I think is best for me and that I really want to do. But is this what you want me to do? You study your word. You get biblical counsel from godly individuals. And then you make a decision and move forward and not stay paralyzed because of your emotions. This this issue of being uh, emotions consumed, I don't know that it's more of a contemporary malady than ever before. Perhaps it is simply because we are living in a feelings-driven culture. But so many people, their walk is just frankly devastated because they just go based so much on feelings. We want to be aware of our feelings. We want to think through our feelings, but we don't want to be feelings-led. We want to be faith-led. Try that, and maybe you'll get unstuck. And please send questions, comments, conundrums, snarks, or whatever with in reason to idea at wretched.org. This is Wretched Radio. You're familiar with this sound. You're sitting in church. Your pastor is preaching. You have your John MacArthur Study Bible open. The pastor is reading the scripture. And all of a sudden you hear everybody in church turning the page because they all have the same MacArthur Study Bible. Why? Because it is so helpful to be able to read study notes underneath the verses to really grasp what God's Word is trying to teach. How would you... 
like to share the joy of putting a John MacArthur Study Bible into the hands of a believer in the Philippines, they typically make about $12 to $15 per, not hour, per day. It's a luxury item, and it would be such a blessing, $25 a Bible, four Bibles, $100, or perhaps you could send a Bible to a brother or sister in the Philippines every single month. Would you please consider doing that to bring joy to our brothers and sisters? Wretched.org slash Bible. Hey, thank you for listening to Wretched Radio today. We know you have infinite choices in what gets your time, and we don't take for granted that you've chosen Wretched Radio. And we also want to thank those of you who are monthly Wretched Gospel Partners. Without your support, we could not do all that we're able to do. From Wretched Radio and Wretched TV to other productions like Road Trip to Truth, Transformed, and Breaking Bread, not to mention the many resources available in the Wretched store, they're all possible only because of you and your ongoing support. If you're not already a monthly Wretched Gospel partner, would you prayerfully consider becoming one? Help us continue producing quality productions that reach millions with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And know that we take seriously our stewardship of the resources you provide. That's why we're audited yearly by the ECFA, so you know we're accountable to you. Get all the information you could ever need about becoming a monthly Wretched Gospel partner now by visiting wretched.org slash donate. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. The war for life is not over. The war for life has just begun. Dan Steiner from preborn.org slash wretched. Our partner clinic in um, Buffalo, New York, was firebombed. A clinic in Longmont, Colorado also was burned. And so this is the essence of who we are as Christians. We war not against flesh and blood. The implication is that we are, in fact, at war, and we are. The war for life rages on state by state, city by city, block by block, woman by woman. Would you please consider supporting preborn.org slash wretched, providing free ultrasound, providing counseling, providing parental training, providing Similac, providing clothes, providing diapers, and offering them the good news of the gospel. We are at war for life. Please consider supporting preborn.org slash wretched. Important dates in Christian history. 590 AD. Gregory becomes Pope Gregory I, known as the Great. He made treaties with Germanic tribes, independent of the emperor, and declared the Bishop of Rome's primacy over the whole church, increasing the political and spiritual power of the papacy significantly. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Just sitting here waiting for you to send questions, comments, conundrums, snarks to idea at wretched.org. This is Wretched Radio. Muy grateful that you send us anything. It's so helpful. Get stories from all over the globe that I would never find without you. So please just keep stuff coming, including questions, comments, conundrums, snarks to idea at wretched.org. All right, this one comes from Taylor. Todd, what is Western culture? And what do pastors and others mean when they say that Western culture is collapsing? Western culture is the current culture that we understand on this side of the globe. So it's Western, and it's overall how we think and behave as a culture, having agreed upon certain moral norms, certain artistic norms, certain apparel norms, 
And this gets fashioned mostly through the predominant cult of a culture. So whatever is leading the way philosophically or religiously is going to inform society. And over time and over generations, increasingly people adopt, yeah, that's the way things ought to be. That's where you get nationalism. That it's, hey, this is the way I grew up. This is the way we do it. This is the best way. And incidentally, there's nothing wrong with thinking that. That is not a sinful thought necessarily, unless, of course, you become snooty and you think you're just better than everybody. It's okay to say certain cultures are better than others because they are. Oh, you can't say that. Yeah, I can. In fact, you're saying the same thing at me. You're, 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 you're judging my ability to discern what is right or wrong. In other words, you're judging my judging. So judging is not off the table when it comes to cultures. There are some that you can look at and say there has been more human flourishing in that society than that one. So, for instance, I'm not talking about people, by the way. I'm not saying that there's better people than other people. We're talking about understanding the normative operation of a nation. China, would, would you say that people are flourishing there more than in the United States? You'd go, well, no. Okay, so I think in that regard, our culture is better. Now, there can be regards of culture that are better and worse. That is certain. But overall, you can look at some cultures and say, that ain't so good. The way those women are being treated in, in, in Middle Eastern countries, that ain't good. Now, could it be that they have something good in that society that's better than our culture? Sure, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to cede that position but overall you have to look at it and go are humans flourishing more here or there therefore maybe this one is better now we need to have our plumb line in place which is the bible because otherwise we'd be pragmatics and we don't want to be that so western culture is a way of saying this is how we've basically done it now for a long time and we know that it's crumbling it's absolutely morphing because morals, values, philosophies, religion, and ideologies are completely flipped on their head. Idea at wretched.org. All right. This one comes from Jesha, who says, Todd, just listen to your commentary on the sermon about David and Bathsheba that accused David of rape. I agree. David did not technically rape Bathsheba. Okay, we'll come back to that, but keep going. (laughs) (laughs) But isn't it worth noting that Bathsheba may have feared that refusing the summons of a king could have severe consequences? Sure. Yeah, I, 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 but the answer, uh, sure, maybe, possibly, but I, I don't know. How do we figure this out? We can use contemporary standards and lingo or... We can use the lingo of the Bible. There's a Hebrew word for rape, and the Bible doesn't use it when it describes King David's wicked activities. The whole point of sharing the David and Bathsheba story is so that we can recognize the man after God's own heart falls woefully short. We need a better king. A human king ain't enough. We need a divine ruler, which we have in Jesus Christ, because David is actually a picture of the better King Jesus. That's the point of the story. And it happily discloses he murdered Uriah the Hittite. But he slept with, he laid with Bathsheba. It could have used the word that it uses about two chapters later in describing what happened to Tamar. 
She was raped. And, and the Bible's willing to use language that identifies exactly what went down. And because the Bible does not use the word rape when it describes the wicked activity of King David, I can't impose a 21st century concept of that notion under what the Bible does not disclose. Therefore, I don't think it's healthy or wise to say that David raped Bathsheba. He sinned against her. Isn't that enough? She, she was sinned against. Did she feel intimidated? Maybe. Maybe she was out there on purpose. Oh, wait, there you go. Okay, that's what really happened. Hmm. Bathsheba was out there just to tempt David. She's a temptress. She's the Proverbs 4 woman. Doesn't Maybe say that fun. either. Well, I'm sorry, what? I said it doesn't say that either. Yeah, but I wanted to say that, Jimmy. <laughs> so, so just lighten up with what the text actually says. <laughs> okay. Let the Bible speak. Submit to that. And I think the reason that this is even a question these days, once again, it's 21st century that is informing the church and forcing us to re-examine certain texts because clearly those, those texts are ancient and we know better now. So we understand what David did was rape. No, that's what you understand because you are informed, courtesy of Western culture, that if there isn't consent, and incidentally, I read uh, the most oppressing article. <laughs> it was, uh, I don't know where it was located. Okay, here it is. Yeah, oh, New York Times. That's where it was. When we consent, we shouldn't feel terrible after, right? The article it's so sad this woman is writing about consent because that it is not the act itself that has any determiner whether it is right or wrong. The act is the act. It's, it's neutral when it comes to morality. What makes it right or wrong, good, bad, sinful or not, is consent. Now, you and I know that consent is indeed mandatory for intimacy. It's called marriage. God's consent ritual. That is what allows you entrance into the world of intimacy. And these days, we have decided, no, if I consent, then it's okay. I, I can do this because it's okay. And this poor woman, in going through this article, so why do I still feel terrible? I give consent, but then I still feel rotten. Hmm, let me think this through for a moment. Because you sinned? Because what you did was not endorsed by God, and therefore you are bound to have guilt and shame because no sin so affects the body like sexual intimacy outside of God's definition. And on and on the poor woman goes and then finally says this. This is her conclusion. Recognizing consent ain't getting the job done anymore because you're in a situation. You don't want to make the guy feel bad. He bought you dinner, so therefore you have to do that. Otherwise, you're going to wreck his night. And she's saying, no, that's just, that's not enough. I agree with that. Here's what she wrote. The best sex is as rewarding emotionally as it is physically. You don't say. I would even add spiritually because there is a spiritual component involved. This requires trust both in our partner and in ourselves. Huh. Well, one of the best ways to know you can trust somebody is if you enter into a contract till death do you part agreement. That's a pretty good sign you can trust that person. They don't consistently deliver, but that's better than, yo, want to 
Want to shack up? She writes, when we trust ourselves to know what we want and have the language to articulate those wants to others, sex becomes more than the transitional experience common under current norms. Hmm. Instead, it's exciting, joyful, and here's a word, intimate. It most certainly is. And that is a biblical concept. That's the Corinthians verse about that no sin so affects the body. First Corinthians 7. No sin so affects the body as intimacy. It is a special thing. And these people are feeling the weight of their bad decisions to consent to something that is forbidden. She writes, valuing one another as equal people, not just as bodies, to extract consent from, forces partners to recognize our, gasp, moral duty to one another? Namely, that concern for others' pleasure also means concern for their dignity. The world, like a blind squirrel that finds a knife in the drawer twice a day, recognizing, hey, this, this isn't working out. Now ask yourself the question, what has changed? You have given consent, which is a biblical concept, a new definition, and you have changed the one who is in charge of defining what is consent or not. God is the one who defined consent. Modern man says, no, I define it. And if I want to, I can. And that is happening millions of times a day in the West. Millions of times as we speak, that is happening even now. And they are waking up or they're slinking away going, why do I feel so terrible? And the answer is because you have sought consent from the wrong person, yourself. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. And a movement of parents from several nations, including the U.S., Ireland, Canada, and nations in South America, are combining efforts against the sexualization of children by their school boards, districts, and teachers. It's a grassroots movement called the Parents' Pledge and intends to fight back against moves like pornographic material being promoted and distributed by the World Health Organization to children as young as four years old. You yourself can find the Parents' Pledge at lifepetitions.com and pray this movement makes progress in protecting our children. The petition is something we hope you sign, and it's designed to fight against things just like our next story, which is a new California bill that allows the state to take custody of out-of-state children whose parents oppose transgender treatments and it could have some big time nationwide implications the bill would make california a so-called refuge state for minors whose states restrict the transgender nonsense if minors are capable of making the trip to california without their parents then the courts would give the state temporary custody of the child so basically this is a bill that is encouraging confused minors to run away from home to california where they'll be taken from their parents. The lawmakers who proposed this bill and who support this bill seriously need to be thrown in prison because this is not only lunacy, it's dangerous. A recent report shows through the end of June, 181 educators across the country have been arrested this year for sexually molesting children. It's roughly one teacher per day. And to think there are real people out there who think teachers should be given the right to talk sexual. 
And to think there are honestly real people out there that think the teachers should be given the ability to talk about sexual things with children. It's stats like these that make you question every single teacher who persistently fight for the ability to talk about sexual things with our children. Shocking, disgusting, sad, those are just a couple of ways to describe the 76 some odd attacks on pro-life pregnancy centers and churches since the Dobbs leak. But what's even more disturbing and sad is that of the 76 attacks, zero people have been put in prison. Zero. And congressional Democrats blocked a resolution to condemn these attacks just this week. Yep, that happened. That's true. But do you think they would block a resolution that condemns attacks on abortion clinics? <laughs> you can bet your life savings that would be a big no, because then it would be wrong. But attacking and bombing churches, it's A-OK with congressional Democrats. We really have some great leaders, don't we? More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible Esther is the story of a Jewish woman who becomes Queen of Persia. After a plot to destroy the Jews is uncovered, Esther risks her life to save her people. She appeals to the king who kills the conspirators and allows the Jews to defend themselves. When you face persecution, remember God is able to save his people through all kinds of circumstances. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Despite the fact I had to write a check, I'm not crabby. This is Wretched Radio, perhaps. Health insurance has made you a bit crabby because it is so expensive and so often disappointing. Might I point you in a different direction? Metashare.com slash Wretched. It's affordable biblical health sharing. You, you're, you're, you're not paying an insurance company. You are giving a contribution to pay for the health needs of other Christians, and they're doing that for you simultaneously. And that means the average family saves $500 a month. That's monster. Their, their, their customer satisfaction rate, double traditional health insurance. Teladocs, the whole shebang, it it, it might be just the solution for your family that you've been praying for. Learn more at metashare.com slash wretched, metashare.com slash wretched, and you won't be crabby. I think that's their new slogan, Jimmy. You won't be crabby? You won't be metashare. You won't be crabby. <laughs> now, it doesn't help define what they are, but nevertheless. <laughs> I'm a slogan slinger. Please send questions, <laughs> comments, conundrums, snarks to idea at wretched.org. All right. This one comes from John. Dear Todd, every once in a while, I'll get into an argument or debate with my Christian friends over any range of topics. And a lot of times it's something biblical. But usually when I try to argue my case, it pretty much gets dismissed because I didn't use it in context. Mm -hmm. How do I respond to such accusations and how do I recognize when I or someone else is actually taking scripture out of context? Well, that's that's a that's a gunslinger response. Uh, you're just taking that out of context. Well, that's easy and dismissive. So I would start by asking, would you like to explore the word context? So if you do, if you're willing to do that, what are your definitions for context? Where, where, How do you find context? How do you do that hermeneutically, which is exactly what this question is pointing at? How do you define context? 
Because some people would say context is, well, that's 2,000 years old. We're today, therefore that doesn't count. That's not the way that it works hermeneutically. I'm all about context, but we've got to do more than just what the surrounding verses say. Biblical, biblical context, it, it, if you will, think of a pebble in a pond in concentric circles. It goes out and out and out and out. You do look at the immediate context, the verses surrounding it, but then look at the paragraphs surrounding it, then look at the chapters surrounding it, the entire book surrounding it. Oh, the entire Testament. Oh, the entire Bible. That is how we use context. So maybe this would be a question that would bring it to closure in short order. What hermeneutic system do you adhere to? Or better yet, to what hermeneutic system do you adhere? And they're going to go, well, Herman who? And then you can explain to them how you really do context. Speaking of Herman who... It's available at wretched.org. It's a hermeneutics primer, primer, primer. No, primer's for the car, for the paint. Primer is for the, the step into the world of biblical hermeneutics. Can't recommend it enough. It's a few years old now. We filmed that with me standing in front of a locomotive at night, and it just had its bright light shining on me. So enjoy the shadows. There's basically two of me in Herman who... But it's still so relevant and so helpful so that when somebody says, I think you're taking it out of context, you could say, well, let's do that. Let's go look at that verse in context. Why don't you point out to me how I have violated the principle that you say is set? And I think that Herman Who would help you do just that. Please send stuff to idea at wretched.org. All right. This is, oh, this is from Todd to Todd. Huh. Should a Christian counselor tell the counselee that you will get worse before you get better? I don't even understand. How would somebody know? What do you mean you're going to get worse before you get better? I don't. Okay, so you're going to get better, but this is going to this is going to make you worse. See, that's okay. Could you say that in order to become more spiritually and emotionally healthy, it's going to be hard. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be stumbles. There might even be some emotional doors that get opened up that you didn't even know existed. Sure, of course. But to say you're going to get worse before you get better, I just don't know that that's even helpful. It is just a sloppy phrase, and a biblical counselor avoids such phrases. Incidentally, I cannot I cannot wait for you to see season two of Transformed, our biblical counseling show. Jimmy, did I send that to you, Robin, the little lady who was smoking pot yes. and drinking? Uh-huh. Did I sh- send that video to oh, you? The Just update? No. The uh-uh. up- oh. oh, this woman for season one, she's sitting on her couch with her legs folded, just going, I've lost friendships and relationships because of pot and alcohol. I've just made so many bad choices. And then you see her after 12 weeks of biblical counseling. Seriously, it's, it's not even like the same human being. Her eyes are bright. Her, 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 her complexion is better. She looks healthier. She's got a smile on her face. And instead of spending her days in a stupor, now she's writing, she's gardening, and you just rejoice when you see it. The power of biblical counseling. I'm telling you, if you've never explored biblical counseling, not Christian counseling, and even be careful with biblical counseling, because there's a lot of people who say this is biblical counseling when it ain't, 
Because if you're going to do biblical counseling, it has to be based on the Bible exclusively. We don't import man-made ideologies into divine writ. We use the sufficient word to apply it to people's lives. And I'm telling you, it is indeed transformative, hence the name transformed. You can find that resource, too, and show it in your Sunday school class with a study guide at wretched.org slash transformed, I think. I mean, it's not slash transformed, I think, comma. No, space, because that would still be in the URL. Is it it's wretched.org slash transform? Uh, yeah, there's also a transform.org. <laughs> Why is it that that sounded like I'm stupid when you said that? <laughs> <laughs> Idea at wretched.org. All right, this is actually a good question from uh, Anthony. Todd, should I still share the gospel if I'm struggling with pornography and lacking assurance? I don't want to lead someone astray because of my error. Mm. While we want Christians to be evangelizing, and while we don't see a particular besetting sin identified as being a disqualifier for being faithful to the Great Commission, my advice would be, um, I'm not sure I'd be worrying about other people's souls. You should be worrying about your soul. As I just mentioned, I'm a massive fan of, of biblical counseling. But there is an aspect that has to be articulated when it comes to pornography. You are playing with fire. Yes, you can have that as a besetting sin. As long as you're struggling with it, fighting, warring, seeing perhaps increasing victory, not perfect victory, but increasing victory, then you're a believer, then you're walking in the faith. But if you are regularly looking at pornography, you've got to ask yourself the question, am I in the faith? Now, again, if you're struggling with it, fighting, warring, mortifying, that is the sign you are saved. But if you're in the camp of whatever... It's not that big of a deal. In fact, it could help my marriage. Some pastor told me that. I would say, attend to your own soul before you worry about the souls of others because you could be in danger. Make your calling and election sure. Put yourself under the authority of some elders who can keep tabs on you. Then hit the streets with the gospel. And while you're doing it, you could get copies of Solving the God Puzzle to distribute. Jimmy, we're getting so close, man. I don't know. It's like 200-some thousand left. Our goal was oh. one million copies of Solving the God Puzzle. Thanks to you hitting the street, distributing this, did I say free resource? That's right. Solving the God Puzzle, an evangelistic booklet. You can order your copies at wretched.org slash puzzle. Ha! Do they have a Solving the God Puzzle <laughs> website? Huh? <laughs> Going to correct me on that one too, Pally? <laughs> You can find it at wretched.org slash puzzle. They come 200 in a case. Order as many cases as you give away. You promise to give away. And we will send them to you, no cost, and that includes shipping. In other words, evangelism has never been a better deal. And that means you need to get on it because as an evangelical Christian, you want better deals. So visit wretched.org slash puzzle. It would be so exciting if by the end of the year, we could celebrate another million evangelistic booklets given away. We did it with what time is perp? No, we, that's a collective we, not, not the ministry here. We together, we provided them 
you gave them out a million copies of What Time is Purple and a million copies of the Biggest Question DVD. By the way, um, if you've ever asked, how could we pray for this ministry? Well, we've got a laundry list, but at the moment, we're pondering very formative stages, a Spanish TV show, Spanish-speaking, theologically sound TV show. Pray for us in that regard because, oh, we'd love to reach that community with good teaching. This is Wretched Radio. Yes, you want to save money because after all, you're a Christian and that's what we want to do. Save money, but never at the expense of our families, health, and peace of mind should a family member fall ill. That is why I'd like to commend you MediShare, the gold standard of healthcare sharing. You will save on average $500 per month as a family. How much will you save? It takes two minutes. 844-34-BIBLE. And if you think well, this isn't very good, you get free telehealth services with MediShare, a huge network of doctors with MediShare, and great customer support. And fellow Christians will pray for you. MediShare, 400,000 members strong. Peace of mind and savings. Simply call 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. Why do we believe so much in biblical counseling? Well, it's comments like these. I just haven't thought of it that way. Pretty intense, huh? Those are comments from real people receiving real biblical counseling for real issues in season one of Transformed. Released this year, Transformed is like nothing else you'll see on Christian TV. You're a fly on the wall witnessing real biblical counseling sessions. With Dr. Greg Gifford, professor of biblical counseling at the Masters University, he's our host and biblical counselor conducting these sessions, which deal with issues like anxiety, OCD, anger, trauma, depression, and much more. And Dr. Dale Johnson, the executive director of ACBC, is our other host. Dr. Johnson chalk talks the sessions to provide a deeper understanding of biblical counseling. Transformed is truly a one-of-a-kind production, providing you with an up-close look at the hope and relief only the Bible can provide. Transformed, from brokenness to wholeness. And it's available now at transformed.org. Thanks to our partners, we were able to create channels of food supplies from neighboring countries of Moldova and Romania. Over 45 tons of non-perishable food supplies were brought in and delivered to thousands of people for small towns and cities that suffered from the war. That is our dear brother Max from the Tomorrow Clubs in Ukraine continuing to preach the gospel, opening up kids clubs where they can and because of the war, providing resources, providing food and shelter and prayer and of course, the gospel to people who are in need. If you have never considered supporting Tomorrow Clubs, this might be the right time. You are needed in Ukraine. Tomorrow Clubs will do the work. They will take care of the distribution. They just need the resources. Would you please consider providing them? Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Titles of Christ. In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who he is and what he has done. Jesus is called the friend of sinners. 
while we were dead in our sins and condemned as enemies, Jesus bore our sins in himself so we could be reconciled to the Father. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Just sitting here waiting for you to call. This is Ratchet Radio. That's the number of the old toll free. Uh, please leave a message. Try to keep it pithy. Ixnay on the airing sway, but call 1 877 282 beep to share whatever is on the, your mind. Hey, Todd. Um, I know we're all dealing with people who want to argue about um, pro life, pro choice. What's the best way to handle that with? Um, friends and family who are pro-choice. Get a copy of Life is Best available at Wretched.org. I'm sorry, did I say that? Was that my first response? I think we should be all life apologists. The arguments, they are so flimsy on the pro-choice side, the bodily autonomy, the privacy act, or the privacy right, all entirely defeatable. Become a pro-life apologist and speak life. And I would encourage you to use the tools like Trot Out the Toddler, SLED, S-L-E-D. You get those two arguments down, and I'm telling you, you will win every single conversation when it comes to the subject of life. But might I suggest, even as we do engage in that, let's not forget to invoke the Bible. Science supports, logic supports, reason supports what the Bible clearly teaches. What is in a mother's womb is being knit together by God himself. It is a whole innocent human being. And we have no right to murder. Furthermore, I might suggest you also speak a positive word to some people. It is so, abortion is so common. There have been 63 to 66 million abortions in this country when Roe v. Wade, that horrible Supreme Court decision, was rendered. There's a lot of women who feel guilt and shame. Don't forget to preach the gospel to your pro-choice friend. Hey, I don't know if this issue is personal to you or not, but just so you know, Christianity is so good. God's grace is so expansive that you can have your sin of abortion forgiven. Don't forget that Jesus died to save all all sinners, no matter how bad, no matter what they have done, because his grace is bigger than your sin. Don't forget to preach the gospel. And please don't forget to call one 282 Hello, King, sir. I was wondering from a biblical perspective, when do you believe the disciples were born again? Oh, ah, great question. I, 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 one of the, one of the, th- the issues that I think simplifies the perplexity of the status of the of the disciples' faith. I my current thinking on it is when when Jesus called them, they were believers in the God of the Bible. They were they were, if you will, Christians before Christ. They actually loved the Lord. Now we know Judas didn't, but that's identified for us in Scripture. Scripture is the exception. So I I think they believed in Yahweh. They learned more about Jesus to understand who he is, but I don't think they were out of the faith. They were growing in the faith. Now, what about the phrase, oh, you of little faith? I think we need to understand that in context, in light of John 14, 1, a little faith is worthless. It's it's faithless worrying, not believing that God can deliver on his promises, trusting in self and not your Savior. That That's what it means to have a little faith. So when Jesus said to the disciples, and he did at least three times that I can think of, 
O you of little faith, he also talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, O you of, maybe it's 7, O you of little faith. It doesn't mean you're not a believer. It means you're not exercising your faith and believing in the bigness of God. So when did they get saved? I suspect that they always were, if nothing else, Old Testament believers. This always gets tricky, but I think what is helpful is understanding that the Gospels and the book of Acts, they're transitional books in that the the New Covenant gets introduced with the birth of Jesus. And then his entire life is about abolishing the old and instating the new. And so as we see his ministry, the three years of ministry that are recorded for us, we're in that transition period. So the Old Testament people who believed in the Messiah to come, and I think the disciples did, I, I, I think they were, they were Old Testament believers in Yahweh, they, they were saved Old Testament style faith in the promise. As the promise is being delivered, you got yourself some years there. And we're seeing a transition from the old to the new, from Jewish Israel to Christian church. So in answer to your question, when when did they get saved? I, I think they always were Old Testament style, but they grew in their knowledge of Jesus Christ, and it took them time, and we got to cut them a little slack. I know that Peter could do things that were, you just kind of go, oh. <laughs> hold on a second. He was brave. He was bold. Yes, he was impetuous. But ask yourself the question, if my life were put down in a book, How would I want people to talk about me, your stumbles, your struggles, your falls, your confusion, your lack of understanding? Got to remember, this was like, whoa, what? You're God in flesh. Whoa. And you're dying to take away the sins of the world. Whoa, what? The sacrificial. But they were it was pointing. It was like all new stuff. So the disciples, I think, always believers increased in their knowledge of their belief. But I think we got to sometimes cut him a little bit of slack. Hey, Todd. Um, the more I'm in my Bible, the more deeper conversations I strive for and want to have with people, and even people in my church. And I'm finding. I right, wait a second. I'm just. I'm just going to prophesy this one. Struggling to find people to talk to. Is that what where this is going, Jimmy? Yes. Yeah. We've all been there and done that. Real talk. I, I don't have patience for, Oh, and it's hard for me to engage in, but it feels like most people like to have trivial talk. So then I'm not relating to them very well. What do you do about that? I've prayed about it, that I think I have a bad attitude and disposition, but I don't know what to do about it. Well, you got you got two lines of thinking going on. One is cage stage. When you're in that, that formative stage where it's like, come on. Look, this is plain and obvious. Get with the program. That's cage stage. Watch out for that. You've discovered now the Bible is robust. It is deep. It is profound. God is sovereign. Whoa. And you do want everybody to know it. But if you can't do it graciously, then you got to wait. So lock yourself in a cage until you're ready to speak truth in love. But the second issue that you've got going on are the people who just aren't interested. How do you get them interested? Let's use a biblical analogy. We are supposed to move from milk drinkers to meat eaters. How did you make that transition with your child? When they were an infant, did you say, look, I don't get it. 
You need steak. So eat it. And you shove a morsel of tenderloin into their mouth. Of course you don't do that because they're just they're not they've got to just be drinking a little bit more formula, maybe baby mush, that rice cereal mixed with baby the baby food. Sometimes it was actually pretty tasty. The kids tell me. <laughs> Look, who of us didn't take a spoonful of it? Okay. They, you, you, you move them into that. And so be patient. How long did it take for you to get it? So, sir, for instance, and I'm not picking on you, but you're, you're an adult male. How, how patient has God been with you to bring you to this point today? So I'm just going to say this fellow is 30. He sounded like 30, a young man, 30-ish, which to Jimmy is a young man. <laughs> Thanks. God was patient for three decades. Maybe that'll help us to be patient with others. one 282 Hello there, Bryce Mr. Friel. Sorry I'm a little late to this conversation. We talked about it like a month ago. But I wanted to respectfully comment on your position that all things, good and evil, are ordained by God. Cool. I don't agree with that. I believe God allows evil, not ordains it. Ordain really gives the idea of causing and affirming. God does not cause or affirm evil. He allows it. Yes, God is sovereign, uh, but there's no need to try to justify God ordaining evil as he doesn't have to because he's given man a free will. What he ordained was the good and perfect result. That was his perfect plan to save his people. He allowed those bad things and ordained the good result because he, being omniscient, knew what the result would be. Let me ask a question. Is your position ultimately any better than mine in that if we say that God permits evil, is, is he still not in some sense giving permission? Isn't that the same thing as him ordaining it? The problem with the word he permits as if it, it's just it has no point, it has no purpose. He's allowing, he'd rather not, but he's allowing it. That's just not the way the Bible speaks. There is not a rogue molecule in the universe. He's in control of everything. And if he's not sovereign, even over evil, then he's sovereign over nothing. He doesn't sort of pluck a little rose out of a bush of thorns when it comes to evil. He doesn't make lemonade out of lemons. Evil is ordained by God. It is not an endorsement that he is good, but that is why I think we need to understand the levels of, of how evil transpires and what it means to be sovereign and what it means for God to ordain. He ordains everything, but he uses means, and then you've got the ultimate cause, which is the individual carrying it out. That, to me, allows God to be God to be sovereign over all and yet not be culpable and responsible for evil because we know that he is not. He doesn't, he, God can't even do evil things. So, sir, thank you for your thoughtful beep talk. But you're wrong! Oh, I'm sorry, I almost made it, Jimmy. Keep them coming. And until tomorrow, go serve your king.